1: Welcome to the Wednesday show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. And we need phone calls and questions sent in. We're running a little bit light on those. Um, all you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area you can call us toll free at 877630 KSLR at 6305757 you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them to us that way if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer i got a nice surprise just a few moments ago um We're getting ready, you know, now that the kids are not in school. uh, I don't have the kids coming in for prayer every day at just a couple of minutes before 4 o'clock. And today, uh, a family showed up with four of the kids here to pray. And we had another one here. Now, we didn't have more than 10, so it's okay. But uh, they were able to pray for the program and give me a hug. So that was a really, really neat thing. And I'm praising the Lord for it. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching Genesis. Uh, At cha- the end of chapter 4, and, the begin- and I hope I can not talk too much and get all the way through chapter 5, Tonight we get to the begats, the <laughs> old King James, and this one begat this one, and he begat that one. Um, doesn't sound really exciting, but there's a lot of really interesting information uh, in in this chapter, and it's all leading up to the flood of Noah, which we will uh, begin to undertake in our study next Wednesday night. So that's tonight at seven o'clock. You can watch it at Calvary SA. Dot com. Um, I would like to say, uh, and I'm sure he and May are listening, Pastor Kin and May, happy anniversary. I love you, and one of the most painful things about this coronavirus is I don't get to see you uh, every day like I'm used to seeing you. And I guess we can say it's also a happy no-tax day because taxes aren't due now until July 15th, so there is a silver lining in everything that happens. Let's get to some questions while we wait for your questions or phone calls. This first one is anonymous. It says, is it okay for a Christian wife or mother to work outside the home? Of course it is, anonymous, and I don't know whether you're the Christian wife or you have a Christian wife and you're contemplating these things. Of course it's Okay. Um, you know we don't live in Bible times and and women work and women have rights and women have brains and women can do really neat things so this is a thing where a husband and wife together need to sit down and seek the will of God there are women who want to work and the Holy Spirit will tell them no and he's preparing them for something coming down uh, along the road Um, uh, there are others who will say sure uh, and it's it's just seeking the will of God on your own. But we need to get rid of this idea that a Christian wife isn't somebody who lives in this century. And of course they can work. And of course they can achieve. Uh, God gives them wonderful gifts. I had a couple come in yesterday. I mean, these people are really, really near and dear, close, close, close to me. And um, uh, they were just discussing with me uh, a, a sort of a new direction the Lord is sending. i not away from the church, thank the Lord, but sending uh, a new direction. And and they looked at me like, well, well, are we crazy? And it really had to deal with the wife. And, and I said, you know, you're convinced and she's convinced, so go for it. Give God a chance to do something really, really great. And I think that's one of the things, um, not changing the subject here, but I think that's one of the ways that we can all use this time under quarantine where we're sort of forced to be home and forced to deal with quiet. Um, um, we, We can really sit down and wait on the Lord. And I really believe that God is going to rearrange a lot of our lives completely, send us in a completely different direction than the one we thought we were going on, before this thing happened so anonymous i hope that's as clear as i can be of course it is okay for a christian wife and mother to work outside the home here is a question from matthew and matthew i really like your question he says pastor Ron, how can i interact with the holy spirit practically on a day-to-day basis well matthew the first thing you've got to understand is the only way you can interact with the holy spirit is by being obedient He wrote the Word of God. Be obedient to the Word of God. Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit and that context there is always in power to those who obey Him. So that's the first thing. There is no interaction with the Holy Spirit when there is sin breaking the fellowship you have with God. I tell people at the church here all the time that the Holy Spirit's first name is holy. We have to pursue personal holiness. And when we're doing that, then the Holy Spirit is going to interact with us. The second thing, Matthew, is that we've got to surrender. And this is a hard one for us. We've all got plans. We've all got hopes and dreams. We've got things that we want to do. um, And we've got to be able to say, not my will, but thy will, O God, be done. When we do that, the Holy Spirit then is free to sort of... um, in the most practical way, it's okay, turn this way instead of going this way. Third thing we have to do is we've got to walk by faith, not by sight. And Matthew, well, uh, this is obvious, I think, we all understand this, this is one of the most ignored concepts of of our day-to-day walk with with the Holy Spirit, period. Um, We've got to trust by faith, That he's leading us in the perfect will of God. You know, Paul said that we should pray that we would, or that he prayed, and obviously we should pray as well that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of God and in the knowledge of His will for our lives. That means we gotta we gotta have faith. That means when I want to do something and the Lord wants me to do something else, I've got to choose His thing. And it has to be something we do every day. You know, Matthew, there's different terms for it, being baptized in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. But what, it doesn't matter what we call it. What's important is that every day we are surrendered to the, the will and the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that, again, practically by asking the Lord, um, Jesus, give me some divine appointments today. I know Paula is at home during this and she's got the gift of love. I mean, she just splashes love everywhere she goes. And, you know, we're not able to be around a whole lot of people like we are are typically around. And I know that Paula is asking the Lord day by day, Lord, who should I call? Who's hurting? Who can I talk to? Who can I text? Who can I FaceTime? And the Holy Spirit will give you those answers and give you that direction. So that's how we interact with Him on a day-to-day basis. And I'm going to change it to a minute-by-minute or an hour-by-hour basis because the moment we forget to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, that's the moment that we lose any contact with Him at all. So it's just a matter of being with Jesus, that's what I call it, every day, letting the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. Remember when Paul uh, desperately wanted to go into Asia Minor, um, Ephesus and the area there. Um, and, um, he, I mean, he made, that was his plans. He knew it was God's will. He thought it was God's will for him now. But God had a different will. Paul wanted to go into Ephesus, and three times we're told in Scripture that the Holy Spirit forbid him. Three times. Now that would get a little frustrating. The last time he couldn't go when he wanted to go, and he thought it was his time, God sent him with that vision of the man from Macedonia to Philippi. Now Matthew, when Paul was in Philippi, and he ended up in that Philippian jail in stocks with Silas how many times do you think he thought wow I was really wrong I I shouldn't have come back here but God wanted to use Paul to, to do some great things not only that but remember the church of Philippi is the one church that ended up being Paul's primary source of funds And so God had a work to do there. Once that was done, then Paul was released to go. You can only understand that if you are submitted to the Holy Spirit. So obedience, pursuing holiness, walking by faith instead of by sight, and plugging in and staying plugged in in to that power source. Good question. 340-9585 for your questions today, your phone calls. Here is an anonymous question, important one. Pastor on. I have trouble sleeping. I have trouble sleeping mostly because of the distractions I have in my life. I invite those distractions because they keep me from thinking about everything that's going on now. I'm a fearful person. But I am really tired, I guess from the lack of sleep. And then he or she asks, any advice? Uh, Yeah, you know, um, I I can guess what you mean by distractions, probably your phone, social media, um, listening to things. You know, I think one of the things that we all have to do, anonymous, is we've got to learn how to deal with quiet time we really have to learn to deal with quiet time. We've got to turn off, unplug, and just listen for the Word of God. You see, He is our source of strength. He's our source of direction. He's our source of comfort. And we live in such a busy world. We live in such a connected world that, that, and I tell this to the church here all the time, Anonymous, that if you don't put those phones down, you're not going to be able to hear from the Lord. And when you said in this question, I invite distractions because they keep you from thinking about everything going on now, those are the things that you need to be thinking about. Lord, how can you turn this bowl of ashes into beauty? How can we take this mess going on here and turn it into a place where I can be used right in the middle of your will? And we need to be praying about these things. And sometimes prayer is hard because we got to put our phones away. I still know people that answer their phones when they're talking to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. God wants to talk to you and you'd rather take a telemarketing call. We have to see what's going on. Or we've got to look at that text. It's what happens with people in cars. They've got to look at that text instead of saying, look, I'm not looking at my phone while I'm driving the car. And I think what happens with you not being able to sleep is that you don't know how to deal with the quiet. So we need to deal with the fear and worry. We can't just pretend it's not there. And then when it gets a little tiring for us, and usually that's in just a few minutes, we need to remember to resist the distraction of our phones. We really and truly need to learn to deal with God in those quiet times. There are times anonymous. Those are the times when God will come to you and He'll answer the deep questions of your heart. He'll give you the the answers to questions you've been asking. So you've got to limit the distractions. And I'm just talking about personal discipline. You've got to set that telephone down. Stop listening to podcasts. Stop listening to to whatever it is that you listen to leave Facebook and all of the other social media outlets leave them alone on a personal note Anonymous I am not a phone person I'm visually impaired so I can't look at my phone I can't use my phone for, for distractions um, but you know I don't even like to talk on the phone and so I, I have no problem leaving it. Now my phone never gets below like 98% on the charge thing. I have it because I have to. But I can't be connected to it. I've got to be connected instead to two things, to the Word of God, and more importantly, to the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want real rest, it only comes in His presence. If you want to be delivered from being too afraid, it's well over 300 times in our Bibles where we're told not to be afraid, do not worry, do not be afraid, those kind of things. Well over 300 times. We need to hear that. And then when we're afraid, we need by faith to turn those fears over to the Lord. So until we learn to deal with quiet, until we learn to to disconnect and listen just for the voice of the Lord, I think these problems are going to continue. So do me a favor and just exercise self-control, which is, by the way, a fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free eight seven um, seven six Here is a question from Natalie. Can you please explain the difference between sanctification and... And justification. Yeah, I can. Let me start with justification, Uh, Natalie. Justification happens, and here's the way to think about justification that you'll remember. It's to be made just as if you'd never sinned. So when you think of justification, that's the work of God that makes you as though you never sinned. It's when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins, And we surrender our heart to Jesus, ask him to come into our life, and the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. At that moment, we are justified, just as if we'd never sinned. We are forgiven for all sins, past, present, and future. And that's what justification is. Now, obviously, that's a positional doctrine. Um, obviously we're still working out our salvation. That's what sanctification is. I'll go there in a moment. But from Jesus' perspective in heaven, what he sees is that we are absolutely perfect. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness. You can substitute the word perfection of God. So that's what justification is. Sanctification is... Is And people don't like when I say this, Natalie, but sanctification, I think, is the most exciting um, doctrinal issue that we get to experience on a daily basis. And that's the, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Sanctification is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Paul says writing to the church at Philippi. He doesn't say working for, but working out. Sanctification is me getting up every morning and saying, Lord, I want to be more like you today than I was yesterday. I want to learn more about your character, your nature, the depth of your infinite love for me. And so sanctification is working out our salvation, becoming more like Jesus each and every day. And Natalie, if we will do that, you're going to find that you really Sure Truly are, more like Jesus every day. Now, obviously we've got to spend time in His presence. And it doesn't mean that because we're in this process of sanctification, we're not going to mess up, we're not going to blow up. We do. You know it, I know it. But you see, when you realize that sanctification is a process, we won't be completely sanctified. The word means to be set apart. It's used sometimes for, for, for holy. We won't be completely set apart for God till we're in heaven with him. But on the day that we stand before him, we want to be able to look back and see the crowns of righteousness that we've earned. We want to be able to hear the Lord say, Well done. I always say I'll settle for a nice try, Ron. And that's because I'm in this process of sanctification. It's almost, Natalie, and I have a good friend who does this um, uh, show. Um, He used to be a potter, an old hippie, before he got saved. Now he's a pastor in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Uh, Pastor Pat, and he's a really great guy, and he does this this pottery presentation, and, and it's such a great example of how he takes just this old, hard lump of clay, I mean really hard, you could knock somebody out with it, And he puts it on the potter's wheel, puts a little bit of water on it, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and then the potter's hands begins to shape and mold that lump of clay. And he turns it into something really, really pretty. And sometimes he'll start making a vase out of that clay, and and then he'll he'll stop the potter's wheel, and that vase will be looking like it's taking form, and people looking at it will say, wow, that's going to be beautiful. And then he'll just take his hand and crush it. And then he starts all over with clay and turns it into a bowl. And here's what he says. He said, you know, you thought that was going to be a a vase, but I'm I'm the potter. I knew it was going to be a bowl all along. Well, that's what sanctification is like on this earth. God takes us places and directions that we don't really understand. We don't understand what God is doing in us or for us. But because he wants to do so much through us, he's taking us on his potter's wheel, through the places and the, the phases of our walk where we will daily just be with Jesus. And one day you're going to look back and say, wow, I'm a pretty good-looking vase or a pretty awesome bowl. And you and Jesus will smile together about it. By the way, uh, Natalie, this works... Um, sanctification it, it's certainly personal doctrine but it also works as we think about the work God is doing through a church you know uh, next month will be 25 years um, May 31st uh, is 25 years to the day that we started the work here at Calvert Chapel and today I was out praying and I don't know why it really hit me hard today but I just sitting here thinking Lord I remember I was out walking with the Lord and doing my exercise at the same time and, and I just thought, you know, Lord, I remember 25 years ago when we were here and everything was so strange. I kept thinking, what are we doing in San Antonio, Texas? We've never been here. And it's just really weird to us. It's really different. And as confusing as that time was and as many trials and tests as Paul and I had during those early years, today I was able to look back and I was able to say, Jesus, thank you so much that now that 25 years, literally, I'm not exaggerating here, literally feels like it was 25 minutes ago. I got old in the process of being here. I, I don't know how that happened. But here I am today, and all I could do is say, Lord, thank you for the honor and privilege of having been considered worthy of this calling. Like Paul, I could say, thank you, Lord, for considering me faithful to do this work. And then, of course, I had to say, thank you, Lord, for keeping me steady and consistent and standing firm in this work. So, Natalie, understanding sanctification is really important, but living it every day is more than important. It's it's exciting, it's passionate. It's thrilling, Jesus will take you places that you never dreamed you'd be before. And as you look back in a few years and see where he's brought you and sort of meditate on how he's done it, I promise you that God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and pretty soon your heart is just filled with joy and this sanctification process, being more like Jesus every day. Loving him more today than you did yesterday. That's what will give your walk with the Lord real, real power. So Natalie, thanks very much for the question. I'm I'm blessed beyond what you can imagine um, just by being able to go back and think about what the Lord has done. Well, don't have time to go to another question yet. We'd love to have your phone calls in the second half of the program. Um, But you know, all of us, and again, this this quarantine time is a perfect time to sit still before the Lord. Don't put any pressure on yourself to hear from Him. Just go out and talk to Him and let Him know that you want to hear His voice. It'll be a thrilling thing for you, I promise. We've got 30 minutes left in our Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. It's a word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at
0: gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the show 340-9585. Our phones have been really, really quiet. Um, toll-free, kslr Paula texted our producer to remind me, I forgot to say happy birthday to my granddaughter, Ileana. She is 15 today. Talk about 15 minutes. She was just born 15 minutes ago. There she is, 15. And while she's not listening to the program today, we're going to call her and tell her uh, happy birthday. It is also... And this is for all of you in the audience to pray. You can write this name down, Raquel Ortiz. Raquel is Pastor, Richard, uh, Ra- Pastor Richard's wife. Pastor Richard was on our staff for a while and went back to Brooklyn to, uh, to begin a church work. Um, she is recovering from the coronavirus. She was one of those who caught it uh, in New York. and uh, uh, She seems to be getting a little bit better, but we would really, really love knowing that you are all praying. Here is a question from Jeremy. He said, Do you think a Christian will ever become sinless? Jeremy, we will all become sinless, but not until we stand before the Lord. You know, we've got this battle going on with flesh. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we read that and think, Well, yeah, but that doesn't apply to the future. It's in the continuous present tense in Greek. It is an imperative. And what it says is for all are continually following, falling short or continually sinning and continually fall short of the glory of God continually. So just the word of God is clear. John the apostle of love says if you say you're without sin you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. So evidently Jeremy this has been a problem uh, we are such prideful human beings. This has been a problem in the church from the very beginning. John had to deal with it. There was a group of Christians who always think that, uh, you know, well, well I'm, I'm without sin, I'm sanctified, and, and they just don't understand it. They're not opening their Bibles. The Apostle Paul said, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, O wretched man that I am. If the Apostle Paul could deal with his, his flesh and with his sin, why can't we? Now, I know the answer. The answer is pride. We like to think that we've sort of found it. We've arrived when we come to Christ. We've been walking with the Lord. But I'm telling you, Jeremy, if anybody's telling you that they don't sin, they are looking at you and lying to your face. This is an issue that people become passionate about because unfortunately there are some really bad teachers out there who sort of dangle this carrot before their, their students' noses always, follow this, follow this, you can be like me one day, you can be without sin. Uh, and we can never achieve that. And I get people who get really angry with me. I had a guy that from listening to this radio program came to the church for a while loved it, loved the people and that's the best thing about our church, the people loved the teaching and then one day I did a Bible study and came to me afterwards and said are you indicating that we're still sinners? So said well of course and he hasn't been back so no we will never be without sin as long as we are in these flesh and blood bodies And I think one of the things our flesh ought to do, Jeremy, is give us a sense of longing for heaven. You know, I don't want to sin when I get up in the morning. Um, I don't want to have ugly thoughts. I don't want to be about to lose my temper. Now, clearly, I'm better now than I was 29 years ago uh, at at walking in self-control not saying dumb things, but those things still come to mind. They just don't come out of my mouth. And so we're fooling ourselves if we think that we are ever going to be at that place where, you know, I don't sin anymore. We need always to keep our sins before the Lord. And that's just the fruit of humility. And Jeremy, a lot of times we think we're doing pretty well for a while and we get a little bit carried away with our own importance And I think sometimes God will throw that temptation or allow Satan or the enemy to tempt you just to show you who you really are. And the truth is we all continue to sin continually and we are always falling short of the glory of God. And that's why 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And here's the key, purify us from all unrighteousness so that's what I know I I wish I wasn't a sinner I'm, I'm not nearly as bad as I was but here's something Jeremy I want you to think about well I'm not anywhere close to the person I was when I met Jesus he has really done a good work in me sanctifying me he's done a good work in making me more like him every day the truth is the closer I get to him the more Aware I am of how far I fall short. I hope that makes sense to you, Jeremy. There isn't one ounce of flesh in me that's better than it used to be. The power of God is bigger in me now, but my flesh still stinks just as much as it ever did. You know, Jeremy. My church has heard this a bunch. My flesh is so bad that all I have to do is walk a little bit away from Jesus and I'm going to do something that is going to end up disqualifying me from what I love doing. The world wants to see me fall. The the enemy wants to make me fall. My flesh wants to conspire with the world and the enemy. So I've got to fight it's a real fight and the only way to win that fight is to realize that if I give in to my flesh if I give in to my flesh I'm going to ruin everything my last comment in this Jeremy is this I pray all the time in the morning I've said to you before you know I, I offer my body to the Lord and um, today my own free will I choose to serve Jesus kind of thing and I do that for me and I do it with Paula and and um, when I hold my hand out Lord I just told you I, I, I choose my own free will to serve you today but I can't do that on my own in fact I don't even want to do that on my own so I offer my hand and I say this I offer my hand in faith I take your hand by faith and I will not let go until you bless me? And then I say this, Lord, if I let go, I'm going to ruin everything, so please hold me close. So, Jeremy, that's the answer to your question. Here is an anonymous question, I think, from a cynic. What would you do if you ever found out the resurrection was a lie? Well, if the resurrection is lie. Paul says that we who are believers would be pitied more than all people. If there's no resurrection, Anonymous, then there's no salvation. There is no God. It's just that simple. If Jesus lied to us, if this whole thing were a ruse, and it could be demonstrated, and you know what? In the early church, all they had to do to kill Christianity right from the ground is to find the body and they tried, they tried, they really tried, but they couldn't find it because he was alive. So I don't ever worry about this. I'm never going to find out the resurrection was a lie, but playing along with your question, Anonymous, if it was proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that the resurrection was a ruse, a lie, then I wouldn't be a Christian because there would be no value in being a Christian. Having said that, because it is true. There is no value in anything else but being a Christian. So I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Ronald. He says, Do you believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased? No, I do not. Um, I think the sign gifts, uh, the gift of tongues, as it happened on the day of Pentecost, and many times throughout the book of Acts I think that kind of use of tongues as a, as a sign gift signs remember always point to something they give directions well the sign gifts pointed to Jesus whether it was Jesus doing the miracles or the apostles doing the miracles. Um, I think the miraculous healings that we see um, um, gold and silver have I none but what I have I give to you in the name of Christ rise and walk. That's what Peter said to the beggar at the gate, beautiful. That was a sign gift pointing to Jesus and those who received the, the gift became believers. So the kind of sign gifts, those that pointed to Jesus, those have ceased. But the other gifts of the Spirit, including the personal gift of tongues, those are all gifts given today. The gift of prophecy, not being a prophet, but the gift of prophecy, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, um, the gifts of healing. I had a question yesterday about the gifts of healing. It's not that somebody has the gift to heal other people, but God gives gifts of healing to those who are afflicted. So all of those gifts of the Spirit um, still exist. The gifts that God has given to the church Those gifts are still operational. So, uh, no, Ronald, there is no indication anywhere at all in Scripture that those gifts have ceased. Now, there are people, as I'm sure you know, uh, many of them gifted Bible teachers who teach secessionism. Uh, J. Vernon McGee was one. Um, It always amazed me because he was such a good teacher and yet he says, nope, the gifts of the Spirit have ceased for today. John MacArthur is another one. Um, Nope, the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, and he exercises gifts of the Spirit when he's teaching gifts, when he's writing his books. And here's why I think people take that position. It's not a biblical position. It's not some conclusion they came to reading only the Scriptures. I think they have grown so tired of the way the gifts of the Spirit are abused in churches today. And this has been going on for a long time. It didn't start today, Ronald. But when you walk into church and everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, that is an abuse of the gifts. When you see people falling down or laughing, believe it or not, throwing up in the Spirit, throwing demons up, is what they say. We see those kinds of abuses and it breaks our heart. And so I think these people that believe in cessationism have sort of overreacted and they've lost their ability to balance the extremes of Scripture. So yes, the gifts of the Spirit are for today there to be conducted decently and in order. I had a guy come to the church. Um, he was brought by somebody else and at the end of the service he made a beeline to come up and talk to me. He said, so when do we get to speak in tongues? And I said, well, we don't speak in tongues corporately, at least not on Sundays. Oh, so you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? And I said, well, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but they need to be decently in order. We're told how to operate the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of tongues in particular. And the church said, no, no, no. He said, we've all got to speak in tongues, and if you don't do it, you're in sin. And I said, well, Maybe this isn't the church for you. I'm sorry. And he said, so you're telling me if Jesus were here today and he ordered you to speak in tongues, everybody at the same time, you wouldn't do it. And I said, he wouldn't do that because we know who he is. So Ronald, find balance. I say this a lot on this program. Balance is the holy ground, not the extremes. There's always flesh involved in the extremes, but balance is the holy ground. 3409585, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Philip says Pastor Ron can you explain Prevenient Grace my friend talks about it but I'm not sure I understand um, Philip Prevenient Grace is a Calvinist position that basically says I'll explain this a little bit better but it basically says that you can't get saved until you really are saved now that doesn't make any sense But they're sold on it. No, you've got to be saved before you can even acknowledge you're dead. And you can't come to life. So please, please, please understand what I'm saying. Prevenient grace from a Calvinist position is grace that saves you and brings you to life so that you can profess Jesus Christ. So that you can believe. That's not a biblical position. Again, Philip heres the balance with prevenient grace. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. The Greek word is para. and he begins to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. things that you used to do and your conscience didn't bother you at all suddenly bothers you. You become aware that you're missing something, you're lacking something. But that's not prevenient grace. What that is, is the Holy Spirit coming alongside you and giving you a choice to make. Jesus is the answer. When we say yes, then the Holy Spirit comes in you. And then as believers, when we are obedient, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the Calvinist doctrine of prevenient grace uh, is... um, is a false doctrine. Here is a question from. Oh, I thought we had a question here, but I don't see it. Oh, here it is. This is from our email inbox from Nacho. In reading about the scapegoat in Leviticus 16, verses 7 and 8, was this indicating to Jesus? becoming our scapegoat over Barabbas, where Pilate cast a lot, per se, in Leviticus 16, and the cast fell on Jesus when they said, Give us Barabbas. Um, No, uh, Nacho, that's not the the idea. When when, uh, goats, rams were offered as a sin offering, the, um, um, the 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 Levite or the priest would place his hand on a goat, so too would the sinner. Then they would cut the, the the one goat's throat as a sacrifice and let the other one go. And so scapegoat is really the goat who escaped. And the idea was that God was always going to provide a way that we could escape the consequences of our sins. So that's all that means. Uh, it doesn't refer to Jesus at. At all, uh, other than he, he was, of course, the sacrifice that allows us to escape uh, judgment and consequences for our sins. Good question. Thank you. You know, it's amazing. And it? we uh, see the Bible has caused so many um, phrases in our language. Uh, you know, we talk about scapegoats and we talk about stumbling stones and we talk about um, doubting Thomases, and things like that. Well, a lot of our language has its beginning uh, from the Word of God. Good question. Here is a question from David. He said, my question is about limited atonement. Please tell me what you think. Well, David, this is another Calvinist doctrine. And to me, this is the most pernicious doctrine in the TULIP uh, acronym. Um, Limited atonement. uh, A Calvinist would say Jesus died only for the elect in spite of the fact that the Bible tells us clearly that God so loved the world, they say no, no, no you change the world to elect, no you don't it means world, the same word that's used to mean world every other normal usage of it and limited atonement David says that Jesus died only for those he chose and he chose them out of his sovereignty so there was nothing that they could do about it and if God chose you then you can't resist it um, the reason it is the most pernicious of all of the TULIP acronyms is that it it minimizes the, the, not only the work of God but the word of God God doesn't want any to perish and truthfully nobody has to perish but because we reject Jesus Christ they do so, David, it sounds like you're studying the doctrines of Calvinism. Please be careful. Uh, it doesn't make you a heretic. Uh, it Just make sure, it'll just take all of the joy and all of the fruit out of your walk with Jesus. I've seen it over and over and over again. People start well. I, I've had some of those people from this church, and I would say, you know, you started so well. Who cut in on you? That's what Paul said to Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who did this to you? So please, David, be really, really careful. Limited atonement is as anti-biblical as it gets, and they've got to twist it and do gymnastics with words um, in in order to come to that position. I say it all the time. There's no way anybody ever gets a a Calvinist systematic theology um, from reading the Bible what they do is they read the Calvinist systematic theology, lay that over the Bible, and then interpret everything in the light of that systematic theology. And it's just really, really a tragedy. We have five minutes left, and let's go to a question from Kyle. Uh, Jesus's parables confuse me, so why did Jesus speak in parables instead of speaking plainly? You know, Kyle, when if you, you read the parables... Uh, Jesus had no problem being understood uh, the object of his parables always understood exactly what he was saying. There's one case where the religious leaders somebody comes up to us and said, Lord you know you hurt our feelings when you talk about us this way. So parables are illustrations of truth. Now because we don't use agrarian um, uh, figures of speech they're hard for us to understand. But Jesus' audience understood them perfectly because they lived in an agrarian culture. And so it was very clear to them. It would be like you and me, Kyle, kind of talking and saying me giving you a sports metaphor or a movie metaphor. Um, you'd get it. If it was a movie that you watch, you'd get it. Well, in this particular case, Jesus gave them illustrations so that they would understand the truth. They were never to conceal the truth; they were to uh, to help them understand the truth, to reveal the truth. I'll give me just one example, and we're running short on time. So, this will be my last question today. But the foundation parable is a parable of the sower. And Jesus had his disciples and there was another crowd of people that were always there. And they were sitting below him. Jesus was kind of standing over him, looking off in the distance. And in the distance, he would see a, a farmer scattering seed. He's planning for the, for the harvest. You've got to plant. You've got to do the work. And he's just throwing seed everywhere because he wants a good harvest. And Jesus would see these birds falling around. You know, the birds would always be swooping down to try to eat some of the seed. And Jesus would look at them and say, there was a farmer who sowed his seed. And that was the background. So everybody would understand that. Now, in this particular parable, Jesus gave us the meaning in, in Matthew 13 and he says, how are you going to understand the, end of the parables if you don't understand this one? So he wanted to be sure his disciples got it. So he spoke in parables to illustrate truth. Now, for you and for me, one of the ways that we make them a little bit more difficult, Kyle, is that we try to read too much into the parables. You know, the parable of the ten virgins. Um, oh, they had to go buy some oil. We don't have any oil for our lamps, so they went in to buy some. Oh, well, we have to buy the Holy Spirit? No, 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 no. That's, that's trying to read too much. That's a parable about readiness. The parable of the sower, the foundation parable, is a parable about witnessing, sowing the Word of God, letting the Word of God come out of our mouths. And so you don't ever want to try to read too much into the parables. That's where we get confused. But study the parable of the sower and Jesus' explanation. There's a hermeneutic called Expositional Constancy, which means when Jesus gives you the definition of something in a parable, then in all the parables, it's going to be the same thing. Example is the birds. The birds are always evil when they appear in a parable. And we have some parables that makes it sound like the birds are good things. No, the birds are always evil in the parables. We know that because Jesus gave us that definition. And to understand the parable, then what we have to do is really and truly keep that constancy as we exposit the scriptures. So, Kyle, he read, um, or he spoke in parables because he wanted them to understand, not because he didn't want them to understand. I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much for the question. There is a book by um, Herbert Lockyer and it's pretty much the the authoritative uh, commentary on the parables of Jesus. Actually, the parables in the Bible, Old Testament and New. Uh, Herbert Lockyer, L-O-C-K-Y-E-A-R, and I recommend it highly. Um, If you want to understand parables, if you want to teach parables, do a lot of homework first. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Nobody called. The phones were really quiet, but I hope you were blessed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be... Teaching out of Genesis chapter 4 and 5 tonight, uh, CalvarySA.com at 7 o'clock. We'd love to see you there. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at CalvarySA.com.